Welcome to Sunday School. Micah chapter 2, we'll read verses 6 through 13. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man, walking in the spirit and falsehood, do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will, I will sure, you know what, we're not even going to get to that. <laughs> Once again, I was wanting to close out this chapter and it didn't work out. Anyway, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that the house of Israel did not want the true prophets of God prophesying to them. Uh, rebellious people don't like to hear the word of God preached to them. But according to the end of verse 7, God's word is good to them who walk uprightly. And so we see the, the difference between two groups of people. We saw more details of their sinfulness in verses 8 and 9. And as a result, we concluded uh, last week by taking note of how they had forfeited their right to the rest that God had, had given them in the promised land. The land had become polluted with their wickedness. And as a result, the land was going to spew them out. They would no longer enjoy the rest of God and uh, they would be destroyed. And let's focus on verse 11 this morning. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. So while they didn't like to hear the truth from God's prophets, they didn't mind hearing from those who claimed to be prophets. And they didn't want somebody giving them what they didn't want to hear. We can identify with that. They just wanted to hear from those who would tell them everything's going to be okay. There were prophets who had a lying spirit. They pretended to walk in the spirit. When it says if a man walking in the spirit, I, I believe it's, it's those who would pretend to have the spirit of God. But they had a spirit of falsehood. They were, were not about God's business. They were trying to fulfill their own agenda. And you could make a good name for yourself and you could make a good living if you could say the right things. And you would be rewarded for your um, blessings upon them. And we, we see some of that in the Bible where uh, prophesy to me a blessing and I'll reward you. And that's the thing that was going on then. And, and so they had a spirit of falsehood, though. There's plenty of examples of this in the Bible. When the nation of Israel split into two uh, separate houses, after Solomon died, Rehoboam reigned over the southern kingdom of the house of Judah. Jeroboam reigned to the north over the house of Israel. And it was at that time that Jeroboam made the two golden calves that he put one in Bethel, one in Dan, for the northern house of Israel to worship so that they wouldn't go to Jerusalem and be tempted to unify the kingdom. 
And so he had instituted this practice of idolatry. He proclaimed a feast for all the house of Israel to worship this false god that he had made. And while Jeroboam was standing by the altar in Bethel, where he was about to burn incense to his false god, there came a prophet out from Judah. And the prophet goes up to the altar and he proclaims the word of the Lord against this altar. He prophesied that a child named Josiah would be born and that he would offer the wicked priest of that idolatrous religion upon that altar and that the ashes, um, or I'm getting ahead of myself, but that they would be burnt upon the altar. All of those wicked priests. And he said that the sign that this would come to pass is that this altar will rent and that the ashes will pour forth, is what he said. And, and so he said this was going to happen. Well, naturally, Jeroboam, he doesn't like that message too much. You can imagine. <laughs> Who do you think you are, bud? And he doesn't like it, so he wants to lay hold of this guy, and he says, lay hold of him, and he takes his hand from off the altar to reach towards the man of God, and his hand lost all strength. Was, the Bible says he couldn't even pull it back. Now, I don't know what all that means, but here he is. He's got this withered hand, and and anyway, God was already starting to show, look, I got a problem with this. And, and so the altar at that point, it broke into, just as the prophet said, and the ashes came pouring out. And, and I got to tell you, for the life of me, I can't understand why in those days when something like that would happen, people just wouldn't go, my bad, God, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, if I'm sitting there and I'm about to have idolatry in my life and, and a prophet comes and says, don't do it. We're going to burn your priest, and here's how you know it's going to happen. This altar's going to break, and the ashes are going to run out. And if that thing were to happen after my hand went withered, I'd be like, okay, this is legit. Well, it, for whatever reason, he didn't get right. In fact, this is what the Bible says about Jeroboam. 1 Kings 33, 34 says, After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. But that's a side note from the point about um, those who pretend to walk in the Spirit. So word gets out that this prophet had said this and that this had come to pass. And there were a couple of, well, I don't know if it says how many sons, but there were sons of an older prophet uh, who lived there in Bethel, and they go and tell their dad, hey, this prophet has come up from Judah, and he said all this, and, and it's all come to pass. Well, the, the father, he goes after the prophet, and he tracks him down. And when he finds him, he says, hey, come home with me, and let's eat bread. And from this point, I, it would be easier if I just read to you uh, from 1 Kings 13. You can go if you want, but I'm just going to read this real quick. 1 Kings 13, verses 16 through 32 say, And so he goes and he finds his prophet. He says, Come home and eat. And the, and the prophet from Judah said, uh, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, the older prophet said unto the, the one from Judah, 
I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drink water. And it came to pass, as they said at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchres of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, the men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. Now, isn't it interesting that he didn't bother to say that I lied to this guy? But. And he spake unto his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him, and they went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher, wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. It's such a sad account that a prophet of God lost his life. And I realize he, he did disobey, but do you kind of sense how difficult it would be to know sometimes whether this was a true prophet or not? And so this prophet lies to this man, and uh, he lost his life as a result of this false prophet. And it, I, I, just can't, I just can't imagine in those days how somebody would come and say, I've got a word of the Lord for you. And then you had to wait and see whether or not it was real. This is just a couple examples. Jeremiah 14, 13 through 15 say, Behold, talking about those who, who speak lies. Behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall ye have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake un, uh, unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land, but sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And so they were prophesying falsehood. They were saying everything's going to be okay. What's interesting about that particular passage in Jeremiah, they were about to go into Babylonian captivity in Judah. And if you know anything about the history of Israel back there in the first century when Josephus was around, 
in 70 AD when the city was about to be destroyed up until the time that the Romans came in and destroyed the city, you still had prophets, so-called, proclaiming everything's going to be fine. (laughs) They're surrounded. And uh, anyway, uh, that's just how it was. They wanted people around them that would tell them it's all going to be okay. Jeremiah 23, 14 says, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery, walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. In verse 25 of Jeremiah 23, I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And then verse 32, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies, by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all. And then finally, Ezekiel 13.3, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and see nothing. And there's plenty more we could take the time to read over on that particular subject. But the point is, I I think you can tell, this was a major problem in Israel, that they wanted a certain voice, and they didn't want to hear what some of these prophets had to say. And I would think some of the false prophets would have been easy to identify in some respects, because as, as I just read in some of those, some of them wouldn't have been living according to God's word. And I think those would have been easy to identify because in the law of God, they could have seen how you're supposed to live. And if they had somebody come to them who was living contrary to that and tried to proclaim the word of God to them, then they should have been able to identify that as a false prophet. And, and I want to be careful how I say this because I know none of us are really truly worthy, but God does outline a higher standard for the bishop. If a man desire the office of he desires, and then he gives a standard. He gives a list of what needs to, to happen. And so in the life of a prophet, you would have had this higher standard that, look, um, you've got to live up to this because what happens if, if you find out that I've been swindling the church? Are you going to want to listen to me preach? Come on. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, that guy's out of here. I don't want to hear from him. Even though everything I've said is true, all it takes is something like that, and then you're done. And so I think some of that would have been easy to identify. Uh, some of them would have prophesied clear lies like we read about in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto you. Now, let me explain this real quick. A prophet would come, and he would proclaim a word, and then he would say, this is how you know it's going to be true, and he would give you a sign, like we saw with the altar breaking and the ashes pouring out. Well, that didn't come to pass till many years later when Josiah was born, as far as the priest being burnt. And so it, what, what they're being warned of all the way back there in Deuteronomy is, there will be those who can come among you, and they can tell you this is going to happen. They can even produce a sign. And he says, uh, if they give you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. 
and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. If a prophet came and gave a message like that and said, hey, let's go after false gods. This is what the Lord told me to tell you, and here's the sign. That was such a clear violation of the word of God that it should have never been followed. And it, obviously I'm building up to today, and I'm, I'm wanting to get there. Uh, but we, we see today there are so many out there that are false teachers and false prophets, and they get people to buy into it. But it is so clearly against the word of God. And, and the Bible said there, look, if somebody comes unto you and says, we need to go do this, don't follow them. I don't care if the sign comes to pass or not, because it's not from God. And that's what he was trying to warn Israel about back there in Deuteronomy. And so if a message like this was contrary to God's word, one was supposed to know immediately, that man's not from God. That's too contrary to the word. That, it, there's no way. A true prophet of God would never entice the people to go after false gods. And the Bible was so serious about this that that prophet who would try that was to be put to death. But I would also think that some false prophets would have been more difficult to identify because there had to be some slick talkers back then just like we have today. You don't know it, but you're all brainwashed right now. So, how did you know? Because you got to remember, they, they didn't have a completed word of God like we have today. How did you know if somebody came to you and said, hey, this is what's going to happen, and uh, the sign came to pass, and, and they were, man, they were good, they, they knew how to dot their I's and cross their T's, and they made it all look right. How did you know? Well, Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22 say, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. That's great, but I sure would have hated that waiting period. You know what I'm saying? Hey, uh, this is what's going to happen, and the only way we're going to know if it's true is we've got to wait. So I think that would have been kind of hard back then to, to have that waiting period to want to know whether or not, is this guy for real? Now, the reason these false prophets were so numerous back then, and the reason why they're so numerous today, is people don't mind hearing from those who tell them what they want to hear. What they want to hear, not what they necessarily need to hear. We see in verse 11 that these false prophets prophesied of wine and strong drink. There's two ways to look at this. One, which I don't necessarily think is what it's saying, is that they would prophesy and be rewarded with wine and strong drink. That may be, but I don't really think that's what the emphasis here is. They would prophesy of wine and strong drink, I believe, meaning that they were telling the people, God's going to continue to bless. We'll continue to see harvest. You can eat, drink, and be merry because everything's going to be okay. And guess which preacher they preferred to hear from? The, the one who came in and said, hey, you're going into captivity. God's going to reward you evil for evil. Or the one who came in and said, no, it's all going to be fine. 
eat, drink, and be merry. Well, of course, they wanted to hear the prophet that told them what they wanted to hear. One that would say, you're going to continue to be blessed even in your sinfulness. Interesting that we still see the same thing today. Which is why the end of verse 11 says, he shall even be the prophet of this people. In other words, we're going to choose that prophet. That's the one we want because he knows how to tickle our ears. And here's what I want to emphasize. Religion, and I'm I'm using that very broadly here. Religion is not offensive so long as it isn't abrasive or invasive. Nobody cares to have religion around when it doesn't get you out of your comfort zone. Isn't that right? Alex, am I allowed to share something that you shared with me about, oh boy? Um, It just came to my mind. Somebody he knows that used to go here. Um, That church, they're cult-like. And just, I think he said, just ask Alex. (laughs) And then Alex broke out a picture of me he had in his wallet. And... uh, (laughs) This is, our, this, is, this is our Messiah. And, and anyway, the question I think was asked something to this effect. Well, uh, what makes you say that? Well, that church wants you to show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and work at the press. And I thought, well, if that's what makes us a cult, I'll take that. If it means because we want to be faithful, praise God. And so, anyway, you see, people don't like it when it gets invasive. Don't stir me up. Don't try to encourage me to do more. Don't try to tell me I need to live for God more than I'm doing now. And anyway, he can tell it a lot better, so go see him. But let me also say this, because I think this is so critical, especially in our stripe of churches. You don't have to say things harshly, okay? You don't have to to beat people up over it. But you can still say the truth of God's Word kindly, but it'll still be invasive. It'll still be abrasive to people. And so we just need to say it with the love of Christ on our tongue and and not be rude about it. But a message can rub the people the wrong way because it's not what they want to hear. And understand that a weak brand of Christianity, it's allowed just about everywhere. Did you know even in Iran and in North Korea, there are churches under the label of Christian? Now, I'm not saying they're... They're true churches, but they can have that title Christian, even in regimes like North Korea, even in strongholds like Iran, because it's not abrasive. It's not invasive. It's not challenging. It's not going against the system. And there's always going to be a weak brand of Christianity so long as people toe the line that the politicians want them to be on. And we're starting to see that today. But you can better bet that in those places, and, and really anywhere in the world uh, these days, that if a church really starts getting on fire, it's going to draw the, all kinds of attention. And in certain places, like I've mentioned, it, they're going to be driven right back underground. Because you don't want anything that's going to rock the boat um, to your regime. Christianity in America has so weakened that those of us today 
who agree with God's word and his view of homosexuality and the transgender movement. And even though we politely stand against those lifestyles, we're beginning to be labeled as radicalized by the progressives. And I'm not being harsh. Listen, I want to reach everybody with the gospel. But the Bible's clear on it. And yet, when we make a stand, we're labeled as as radicalized fundamentalist. And that's a purposeful statement because it's to help identify us with those who rammed airplanes into the Twin Towers. They were radicalized fundamentalists. And so the idea is, well, you you don't accept this. You're radicalized. And we're seeing this starting to, to grow. And that's in our country that was founded on biblical principles. No doubt we're living in the days of apostasy. We are in the midst of the great falling away that was foretold of. And as a result, Christianity is not nearly as black and white as it once was. It's hard in some churches to identify where they differ from the wickedness of this world. 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And I think that's the key. It isn't that there hasn't always been false teachers. There has. But now we are in a time more so than in recent memory that those who are false teachers are successfully getting people to say that what this book is, is that it's evil. That we don't stand on everything that this Bible says. That we're okay if we pick and choose what God says is holy. And, and it's evil spoken of. The false teachers are followed by so many because they're able to make the way of truth look wrong. Listen, we're seeing it. Maybe, maybe some of you, 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 your kids are raising out of school and you're not seeing it quite as much. And maybe some of you have never had kids. But listen, our kids are getting indoctrinated into evil things in the public school. And and listen, I I pray, if if the Lord doesn't return, I I pray I live a long life. But listen, one day we're going to see what all this has uh, caused in our country. And we're just now really starting to see it. How is it that we have arrived at the place where sin, which is so clearly defined in the Bible is now openly accepted. How is it we've gotten to the point? How is it that we have seen a shift that that which is evil we now call good? And that which is good we now call evil. What's going on? 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 2 Timothy 3.13 But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
We were told this was going to happen in the Bible. We were warned. How is all of this possible? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That which is false and that which is evil is now being masqueraded as righteousness. We're seeing that take place. And it's being propagated by those who are saying that they are ministers of the light. Listen, when churches have gotten to the place they have today where we will openly accept the sinfulness into the pulpit, something is bad wrong. When a church that goes by the banner of Christian will stand up for abortion, we've got problems. And that's what's happening out there. You see, they're calling themselves ministers of righteousness. And of course, what is an evil world going to Yeah, that sounds right to me. Satan's ministers are at work. And in the civilized world, they are more successful at leading people astray in the name of righteousness than they are with open wickedness. Because there's even, there's even still a part of us in our society that doesn't want to be um, the one identified as the town drunk, the one that's strung out, the one, and even though we all have those uh, in our cities and such, people still have this desire to be successful in life and to live a life that they can do what they want to do. And so the best way to get those people deceived is to have a guy who says he's a minister of light convince them that what they want to hear is true. And so this has spread rapidly for a number of reasons, but I want to point out that a major reason is because people don't mind listening to false prophets because they, I think this might be the key here, is they desire a God after their liking. I don't mind listening to a false prophet because he's giving me the God that I want to have. And what we do is we end up conforming God into our own liking. And they take the God of the Bible and they begin to twist Him and His character into what they think He should be. Here's an example. Many do not like the message of hell that is found in the Bible. And since they want their own God, they choose to believe that their God could never punish somebody. And all it is is saying, I want my own God. But I still want the overtones of righteousness. And this is what leads to all the false prophets who will take advantage of that. Another example is the prosperity gospel movement. There are plenty of slick preachers out there in the name of Christianity who are giving a fancy psychology lesson with overtones of God sprinkled in, and they are teaching that you're going to be blessed no matter what. 
It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter if you try to honor God with your life. Don't worry. Everything's going to be just fine. And God becomes conformed into their liking, into a God who will always be accepting of them no matter what. It doesn't matter how many unbiblical or how many biblical principles that they violate in the process. So long as you tell me that if I think the right thoughts and have the right attitude, everything's going to work out okay. And so what we find in these movements, well, let let me mention another one. Uh, I don't know how many of you know the term the seeker-sensitive movement. It really started back there in the 70s, but the the seeker-sensitive movement is that which says uh, we don't care what it takes to get somebody in the door so long as we get them in the door. It doesn't matter what we compromise on. It doesn't matter if we uh, put on a rock concert. It doesn't matter if we just do a 15-minute little uh, sermonette that blesses your heart. It doesn't matter. Just so long as we get you in and we get you under some kind of preaching, we'll be happy with that because we just want you in. There's plenty of people now, if you ever study this, that came up in that movement that are glad they left because there's no depth. What we find in all of this is that God has to be accepting no matter what and that sinfulness and depravity of mankind is not preached. Our sin nature is not dealt with. Holiness is not elevated. There's no real emphasis on living righteously in God's eyes. And as a result of these movements, and movements like them, a weak brand of Christianity has now permeated the land and dominates the landscape of America. And this kind of Christianity will always be allowed so long as the powers that be don't deem it to be too offensive going against their agenda. How many of you remember that wacko in Houston that was telling all the pastors, you've got to send in all your sermons to me? The mayor, I think it was. Because I want to know who's preaching against homosexuality. And thankfully, uh, (laughs) there was enough Baptists who sent their Bibles to her. Said, here, here's my messages. Praise God. Yeah, that's good right there. Now, I threw the Baptist part in there just to make us sound cool. Um, There was all kind of people doing that. Thank God. Anyway, this kind of Christianity will be allowed. And I would tell you, just keep an eye on Canada. If you're not paying attention to what's happening up there religiously, that's what's coming here. And it's already hate speech to preach against homosexuality. And churches are already being censored. And so it's it's happening in North America. Keep an eye on that. We're seeing the storm beginning to brew in America against those who will dare to speak out against wickedness and the political agendas of the day. But so long as we have false prophets in the name of Christianity, then the hull, the shell of Christianity will always be around. But I want you to know that the silencing is beginning to happen against those who refuse to prophesy lies. But even though it's just kind of developing, you can kind of sense the day's coming. And uh, I believe that there's a storm brewing that may get released one day in all its fury. I don't know. I mentioned earlier how it may have been difficult in some instances to quickly identify the false prophets in the Old Testament. 
And like I said, some of them were obvious because they were calling them away from God's law. But some would have done like those today who can give enough truth to make the lie believable. Uh, Somebody once used the application of rat poison, that it's 95% good and only 5% bad, but it still kills you. And remember in those days, one had to wait and see what came to pass and what didn't to know who was true and who was false. And the reason why was because they did not have a completed Word of God. And I really want you to get this point. So because they didn't have a completed Word of God, they did not know what was in store. But listen, this morning, we have a completed Bible. We have everything that God has intended for us to know. We know how it's going to end. And we know who uh, who wins. We know that we've been told, hey, this day's coming. We, We know these things because it's in the Word of God. They didn't have all of that, but we do. So what's our excuse? Why is it that so many false prophets are out there and they're drawing people away? I'll tell you why it's happening in America. It's because we're too lazy to study the book. If you study the Word of God enough and you let it get in more and more, it becomes so much easier to hear that uncertain sound. We have no excuse. We're just lazy. We don't study. 1 John 4 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The Bible warns us false prophets are out there. Therefore, we are to try, we are to examine and prove what is true and what is false. And we do that by studying the Word of God. Acts 17.11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. The Bereans were said to be more noble than those in Thessalonica. In other words, they were more uh, excellent in how they received the Word of God because they were searching the Bible daily wanting to know if what the prophet so-called was saying to them was true or not. Don't come in here and just hear what I have to say and take it as truth. That's how cults get started. But you ought to be studying the Word of God enough to go, wait a minute preacher, that doesn't sound right. Amen. Just because there are those who are right in their doctrine... And even though they are, there are those who are purposefully deceptive, we have both ends of the spectrum, we're not to give up on hearing preaching. But that's what some people do. They get burned, or maybe they disagree with some kind of a doctrine or something that really ain't worth disagreeing about. And they say, well, all preachers are stupid, and I'm just not going to go to church because I don't want to listen to preaching. Well, First Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21 say, despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. The Bible says don't despise preaching. And, and what's interesting is right before that, the verse is quench not the Spirit. But don't, don't hate preaching of the Word of God. But be sure that you are searching to see whether or not what you're hearing is true. If all people do is take my word, we're, listen, I... I want you to grow in the Word of God, not just come and and hear me yell at you. 
when Jesus addressed the seven churches in Asia in the Revelation, He commended the church in Ephesus for trying those, proving those, examining those who claimed to be apostles, and they discovered that they weren't, but they found them to be liars. This is what it says in Revelation 2, too. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. So we must all be people of the Bible. All Sundays and Wednesdays ought to do is reinforce what you're getting on your own time. This is our rallying point just to come together to get stirred up, get encouraged, get exhorted, and get out there and hit the streets and tell people about Christ. This is not to be the central place where you're getting all your growth. Amen. We have to study. So in closing, I would just want to ask this. What kind of prophet do you want? What kind of God do you want? Do you want someone who will, just, who will give you the truth of God, God's word? Or do you want someone who will just tell you what you want to hear so that you can feel better? It's so sweet when somebody wants to receive truth. I won't go into details, obviously, but I was talking to somebody and I said, look, I want you to know I love you. I'm not against you. I understand what you're going through. I've been there myself. But you got to get this right before God. And man, they were just so sweet. And they said, I do. And, and, and preacher, I promise I'm, I'm going to make this right. And, but man, I, I can say the exact same things to other people. And I say, man, I love you. And, and I want you to know this isn't my standard. This is God's standard. And this is not my church. This is his church. And, and, I, and I've just got to say this. And, and listen, it's when they come to me. I don't go looking for it. And, and they come to me, and, and I say the exact same thing. I, I just want you to get your heart right. Who do you think you are? And you get both ends. It's just nice when people say, yeah, I just, I just want to know what God's Word says. Will you teach me? So do you want someone to give you truth or someone to give you lies? Do you want the God of this Bible, or do you want a God you can, you can conform to what you think He should be? It's been said that God made man in His image, and ever since, man has sought to make God into his image. And here's the thing. The one affects the other, and I'll close with this. God and His Word go hand in hand. When you can reject portions of God's Word, then you are rejecting portions of who God is. But when you accept all of God's Word, then you are receiving the God of this Bible. Amen. Let's pray.